Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So here's the, in essence, what we're talking about in this series, Jesus is on a hillside to recap with you. We're talking all about this movement that Jesus started in a moment where he asked his guys like, hey, what's the word on the street about me? And they're like, we believe um, after several wrong answers that you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And on a dusty, hot day in the Middle East on a hillside, nobody could have imagined Jesus turns to Peter who made that answer to the question and said on that statement that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build this thing called a church, an ecclesia, a movement, a body, and a house. And everybody who follows me is going to be a part of it, whether they know it or not. Not just all over the world, but they are going to assemble in local communities. And they're going to come around the message of Jesus. And literally, it's going to change the world. It's going to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational. And it's going to usher something new into the world. And then Jesus went on to say to those guys on the hillside that nothing is going to be able able to stop it. Not death, not the power of hell, not a culture out of control, not the hell of mental illness, the hell of abuse, the hell of your mother-in-law, the hell of dysfunction that you are coming out of from your past. Like there is no hell. There is no opposition when the church comes around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. There's nothing that can stop it. And Jesus on that hillside said, you guys, I know it's unlikely, you're going to birth this movement. It's going to change the world. And they left that hillside and they believed it and they did it. And the church began to move. And in fact, let me just give you this little history lesson. In 42 AD, after this moment on the hillside, Mark goes to Egypt because Jesus made a promise that I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stop it. And then in 49 AD, Paul heads to Turkey. And then in 51 AD, Paul heads to Greece. And then in 52 AD, the Apostle Thomas, who once was a skeptic, now heads to India with the gospel. In 54 AD, Paul heads out on his third and final missionary journey to become the greatest church planner of all times. In 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. It's no longer exclusive to the urban areas. In 350 AD, 31 0.7 million or roughly 53% of the Roman Empire claimed Christ as Lord because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and not even the power of Rome can overcome it. In 432 AD, Patrick heads to Ireland. We love to get smashed and celebrate this every year. In 596 AD, Gregory the Great sends Augustine and a team of missionaries to England to reintroduce the gospel. And in the first two years, they baptized 10,000 people because Jesus made a promise. In 635 AD, the first Christian missionaries arrive in China. In 740 AD, Irish monks land in Iceland. In 900 AD, because Jesus made a promise, missionaries reach Norway. In 1200 AD, the Bible is now available in 22 different languages because people gave their lives to preserve it, not just something that they believe, but something that they believe happened. Jesus rose from the grave and said he was going to build his church. In 1498, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. In 1501, Pope Alexander XI grants to the crown of Spain 
all of the newly discovered countries in the Americas on the condition that provisions be made for the religious instruction of the natives. In 1537, Pope Paul III ordered that the Indians of the New World be brought to Christ by the preaching of the divine word and the example of a good life. In 1554, 1,500 converts to Christianity are reported in what is now Thailand because Jesus on a hillside said it's going to move to every culture, tongue, and language in the world. In 1565, the first Spanish mission to the Indians of Florida began soon after the founding of St. Augustine. In 1666, John Eliot published his The Indian Grammar, a book written to assist in the conversion work among Indians in Massachusetts because Jesus said on that hillside, reach all people and the local church will be the evangelization of the world. In 1671, Quaker missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. In 1743, David Bernard starts ministries to the North American Indians because this was supposed to be multicultural, multi-generational, multi-racial. In 1770, John Merritt, a free black man from New York City, begins ministering cross-culturally, preaching to the American Indians. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention organizes a mission board. In 1921, out of the Northern Baptist a GRBC church was formed as a fellowship in the United States. In the 1960s, from that group, Fellowship Baptist Church was planted in Central Florida because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. In early 1973, Bethel Baptist Church was formed as a branch of Fellowship Baptist Church. And then in 1980, God called Dale Golden as pastor of Bethel Baptist Church to fulfill a passion to reach people with the message of Jesus. And because Jesus promised he would build his church on April 12, 2009, Centerpoint Church was launched as a response to God's call, not just to plant another church, but an alternative to church as usual as an expression of what God is doing all over the world because he was on a hillside and said, I'm going to build my church and nothing is going to be able to stop it. And here we are. Like, I love preaching that message because so few of us understand it. Here we are against all odds, a movement that should have never worked, but because it's founded on a resurrected Jesus, when he's on a hillside, he didn't stutter, he didn't blink an eye, I'm going to build my church. And even with all the crazy stuff from inquisitions and crusades, it's going to happen in history. This is just going to happen. And everybody who comes around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and gathers in their communities around that power. It's going to change the world. It's a fulfillment of that promise. And you know those initial guys, right? They, they walked into Colosseums and they gave their life. They copied scriptures under candlelight so that this thing could be preserved and move forward. They, they went and built hospitals and they gave money to build buildings and they nursed kids back to health. And at some level, the Jesus movement was the start of orphanages early on. And, and they began to create a multicultural gathering where everybody was invited in and they would wash the feet of slaves as they entered those gatherings and they prayed until they had no words and they cried with people and they, they worship underground. And they were literally, because of what Jesus said, they were willing to give their lives away. And here we are. Here we are. Because they were willing to step out of what was so comfortable in ways that we can't even imagine and step into their calling. And they knew because Jesus made it really clear that their calling 
as a follower of Jesus was with everything else they did, primarily they were a body. They were a part of the body of Christ. They were a movement. They were a gathering. They were a house, and they had a role to play in their generation. And I love this because the writer of Hebrews sits down to write their story about how they conquered armies without raising a sword and shut the mouths of lions and saw the world begin to be turned upside down and nothing could stop it. And, and they, again, they didn't even fear death because they served a resurrected Jesus. And at the end of chapter 11, I love what the writer of Hebrews says, and I think this accurately describes them, and the world was not worthy of them. They, they were so committed to what Jesus had called them to, and it's why we're here that the world wasn't even worthy of those guys, those men, those women. And so my question is just this for us as we end, and I'm going to just preach for a few minutes. But what's our story going to be? That God literally, and, and I know this can pass us by, and, and it can be some ethereal thing out here, that he has placed you where you are at this point in time in this city, in this community that you thought was an accident because you are just following a guy or you got laid off work or this is not where you wanted to be, but God knew and you're here, and you're a part of this gathering, and, and you're a part of this movement that has a bunch of cloud of witnesses going before it, and God has called you to play a role, and what you do is going to be the story of what we do. And so he said, once upon a time, there was a group of people, the world wasn't even worthy of them, and then the writer of Hebrews says this, and I love it, in verse one of the next chapter, therefore, meaning considering all of that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. How many of you know that if you've been impacted by the message of Jesus, it's on the backs of somebody's sacrifice and somebody's prayer and somebody stepping out to serve? He says, you've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and so let us throw off, what? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And I love this language. I love this picture. And let us, us, if you're a part of the body of Christ, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you just are, whether you know it or whether you're playing your role or not, you just are, it's your identity. Let us as followers of Jesus in the local churches, we gather together, run with perseverance, the race that's been marked out in our generation and this time, and you're a part of it and you're in this city for a reason, let us run the race that has been marked out for us. And listen, as we've said throughout the series, this is not an individual thing. I know the mantra is very popular, you just do you. That's some really bad advice, honestly. Jesus said, no, no, here's what it means to follow me. Uh, you know how the Gentiles and the Pharisees, they lord leadership and influence over other people. He says, not so with you. I've called you to give your life away because you serve a Jesus that didn't come to be served and he have every right to, he came to serve. And now the church is my vehicle to serve the city and serve the world and get my message out and you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and now you've been given the race, you've been given the baton and you need to run it in your generation. You need to take this on. Now, how many of you run? No, be proud. Are you afraid I'm going to make fun of you? I am. No, not make fun of you. I have tons of respect for you. I don't understand you, but I have tons of respect for you that you get out in those tight pants on an early morning 
and you just do this for fun. And I know there's something to, hey, we complete the thing and you think that thing on the back of your car, but I just don't understand in what world it is worth it. I just do not understand it. So that's just me. Um, like I've tried to run, like I wanted to like it. You seem cool to me and I'll get halfway around the block and I'm like, babe, I'm never doing this again. This is horrible. So anyway, that, God bless you. It's great. Um, but here, here's the thing, like if you've ever run relays and trust me, I have not, but if you ever run relays, here's the thing about them is that if you're running a relay, it almost doesn't matter what the person before you does if you do not hand the baton off seamlessly in the exchange zone. Like there's an exchange zone, right? This is me studying up on this because I didn't have a clue. Um, just weird people running around the track. What's wrong with you? But there's an exchange zone. And if you do not, if you do not hand this off, in fact, it's 1.9 seconds. That's it. And it determines the entire race. And if you don't hand it off seamlessly, it really doesn't matter what's happened before you. And here's my point. I'm just kind of afraid in our generation that because we don't really know what has come before us, we get so comfortable and we lose sight of the fact there is something and someone coming after us. And we have been placed strategically where we are and there is a race to run. And it really comes down to what are we gonna do in the exchange zone with the baton of the local church that we've been given? In 2000, um, the Olympics, there was, um, I heard this example recently that I thought was so dead on. Um, it was in Australia and the women's um, four by 100 meter relay. You know I looked all this up because um, I was not watching the women's four by 100 relay. Um, so they're, they're running this thing and the U.S. was by far the over-the-top favorites. Like they had all of the talent. They, they were, in fact, they had won nine of the previous 16 Olympics. So they did just dominated. And so they had everything that they needed. But when they got around to one of the exchanges in the exchange zone, they had superior talent. But when they got there, they just got sloppy. Because like, we got this. We're better, we're faster, there's nobody that can beat us. And they just got sloppy in the exchange zone. It wasn't a seamless, smooth transition. And they ended up getting bronze in the 2000 Olympics when they should have hands down had the goal, gold because they simply didn't hand it off seamlessly in the exchange zone and they got way too comfortable and way too overconfident. And I just wanna tell you three things or four things, I can't really remember, I was all over the place for service at the 9 a.m. So we'll see how this is gonna go. Um, but I, I have three or four things, I may make up other stuff as I go, but three or four things that I want to tell you, and that is this, that when we get comfortable, we do not finish well. When we, if we are going to run the race in our generation as a church, and I'm talking to us as a body because you're not just a, a, a body part on your own. You're a part of a house. You're a part of a body. And if we're going to run well, we got to finish well. And I just want to say this. There are certain moments of time and seasons in your life and in churches where there is a call of God and it's time sensitive. And we have been pressed to lean in and take the baton and do what God is calling us to do. And if we get comfortable, we miss it. And some of you, let me just talk to you for a second in the house or online, is, is there was a previous season where you weren't as comfortable as you are right now. Like, it's amazing, man, where God dramatically shifts something in us, and it doesn't take long before we just settle into our heated seats and luxury Christianity, and we just kind of forget. But there was a time where, some of you know what I'm talking about, you, you were leaning in so hard to hear the voice of God. You were showing up to serve and to sacrifice in ways that people thought you were insane. 
You were praying prayers that went beyond normal prayers. When God was prompting, even if you had like a 50-50, you were ready to go and step out of your comfort zone and you're nowhere near there. And some of you, you're at a place right now, I just wanna speak honestly um, as friends, even though I, I don't know a lot of you because I'm speaking to me, but uh, you're at a place right now where you know God is prompting you to something or God's given you something for this season of your life and you're not finishing well. You're not running well. You've gotten way too comfortable. And I think for a lot of our churches and the essence of the series, we've gotten way too comfortable. The church, come on, the church should be the most vision-saturated movement on the planet. We should pray bigger prayers than anybody. We should sacrifice more than anybody is willing to sacrifice. We should dream bigger dreams than anybody else is willing to dream. Because come on, I just think we forget this. We have the words of eternal life. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven that has the power to destroy the kingdom of hell and the kingdom of earth. We literally have been given this stewardship in our generation and we serve a resurrected Jesus who can change anything. Come on, how many of you know that? Any marriage, any addiction, any habit, any bit of I'm not worthy, any bit of anxiety, any bit of shame, it can all dissipate in a moment under the power of a resurrected Jesus. And we have been given that in our generation and there are moments where God is calling us to do something and it's time sensitive and if we don't act or if we get comfortable and sloppy in the exchange zone we miss it we miss it it's why as a church our goal is because Jesus is setting the pace but when we know that Jesus is leading and calling we're just ready to go because this has been challenged to us as a walk by faith to go and make disciples, to step out of your comfort zone. That's why we, we saw churches join together over this last year that was probably uncomfortable for a lot of people because Jesus said, go, we got to go. It's why we launched a radio ministry that we weren't looking for that is going to spaces and places we would have never communicated to before. And they're under the shackles of a lot of religion and God's using the voice that you're creating through this church. We're stepping out to launch in North Campus because we believe that God's given us the baton and there's something in front of us and we need to accelerate in the exchange zone and not get comfortable because eternity is at stake. And I just wanna challenge us on that. In 2004, in the Athens Olympics, same thing, man. U.S. head and shoulders above everybody else. Marion Jones got into the exchange zone, and she started to get tired, and they were smoking everybody. And she got into the exchange zone. I think this might be on YouTube. And she, she gets into the exchange zone, and Marion Jones starts to, starts to slow down because she's just fatigued. And by the time she gets it um, to Lauren Johnson, I think her name was, literally they were outside of the exchange zone, which meant as fast as they were, as great as they were previously in the race, they were disqualified because the exchange happened too late. The exchange happened outside of the exchange zone and everything that happened previously in that race, it's like it really didn't matter. See, because there is 1.9 seconds and if you don't act in that moment, it is all over. And so we need to run our race well by finishing well with what God's given you in this season. But we also need to run our race well, realizing that the time is right now. Like, can we just, can we just say this, man? You've got people around you, or maybe you are those people, and you don't really have the luxury of someday and later. Like, you need God to do something now. You, you need God to intervene now. There are people that, let me just preach a little old school right now, maybe make some of you uncomfortable. There are people that are dying without Jesus today. 
There is a culture that so many are walking forward with this just hopelessness and they're carrying shame and they're carrying guilt and they have no idea that Jesus is connected to their healing, but we have the answers to that. And I think a lot of times we operate as a church with this time sensitive message that if we do not share it, if we do not move forward, if we do not allow the movement to move, there are people that are never gonna hear, there are people who are never gonna heal and we have this idea that I'm just gonna get to that. And you know what? Let me just be really real with you. And I'm not, this is just what's going on in our life, and it's so real that I can't help but talk about it, and I probably will for a little while. But what Nicole and I have experienced over these months with, with watching her brother move into this place that was so bad, and, and he had all the religious stuff. He was a children's pastor, and two months ago, he took his life. And I just, as I'm watching epidemics of mental illness, and I'm watching a culture that is out of control, and a sexual ethic that doesn't work, and so many people under the weight of these chains and shackles, they don't think there's any hope to get out of, and here we are as the church, and we've got all of that in our hands. Not that everything is going to be great, but come on, how many people know that Jesus can bring healing to anybody, and we do not have the luxury of going, someday I'm gonna get to that. Eric didn't have someday. You have neighbors that don't have someday. You have adult kids, and today is the day. Now's the time to act. Now's the time to move in their direction. Now is the time to love them. Now is the time to invite them. Now is the time to give generously. Now is the time to give up your life for the sake of them connecting to Jesus and their eternity being changed forever. You don't have someday. Like, like imagine that with Jesus, man, rolling up on Zacchaeus and like, hey, hang on, man, I'll come back to you. And honestly, what would have happened, because as Zacchaeus passed, the church would have called a board meeting to figure out if they could even invite Zacchaeus to come over and whether that was theologically permissible while he hung out in a tree. That's what would happen today. Imagine rolling up on Matthew. He's like, hey, I'll hit you up next time. No, he's like, Matthew, I'm going to your house today because all we got is now. That one story in the New Testament, I don't know if you know about it. Man, these one dudes were so desperate to get this guy in to meet Jesus. They, they cut a hole in the roof and lowered that guy down in. Because it, it, it's time now. We've been given the keys to overcome the hell of anything. We, we've got the power to break every chain. And some calls of God for us as a church to step out and for you as part of this body, they're, they're for this moment. And so I, I just want to ask some of you, like, who's the one that demands that, that you don't wait to take the baton? because they don't have forever. I just wish, and it's gonna sound kind of weird, but man, I feel so passionate about this. Sometimes I wish more people could hang out with me on the side of caskets and bedsides. Yeah, I think it's what Moses was talking about when he said this, that, that God, this was Moses' prayer in, in the Psalms, God, teach me to number my days or teach me the brevity of my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. And what Moses was literally saying is what all of us probably know at some level, that when you get to the end of your life, you are going to have so much clarity about what you should have done, about where you should have acted, about where you wish you would have stepped out and given your life to something greater than you. And Moses in that prayer is saying, God, I don't want to wait for that day. Help me to have wisdom to reach into my future and that clarity that I'm going to get at the end of my life and bring it into today. And then I want to live that way today. So who, like, who's dependent on you? 
In 2008, in the Beijing, Beijing Olympics, the U.S. again, fastest team, killing everybody. Should have won easy. They had all the talent in the world. They were better than everybody else, and they got into the third exchange, and they were about to just, I mean, drop the mic on this thing, get their gold. And they got into that third exchange, and at one point they were uncomfortable, or comfortable, and they got sloppy. At one point, they delivered the exchange outside of the exchange zone. In that third exchange, in that Olympics in 2008, they got to that third exchange ready for victory, and they just dropped the baton. And again, they, they were killing everybody, but in that moment, nothing that had happened before them even mattered, and they just dropped the baton, and they were disqualified, and the whole thing was over. And I, I just, I wonder how many in our generation, and I wonder how many is our, our churches where we just were guilty of just dropping the baton. Like when Jesus said, listen, I never designed this to be something that you show up and attend. And I'm gonna watch that walk off the, thank you. Um, <laughs> it, it's never to be something you attend. This is, this is a movement. This is a gathering. We're a part of a house. You're a member of a body. I love, I love what Paul says when he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the what? You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. And in verse 12, just as, skipping back up, one body through one has many parts, all of its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. Literally, that until you decide that this is who I am, that I am not an individual Christian, I am a part and I function as a body, and this is not just this ethereal around the globe, that God has called you to a specific local gathering because the local church is the hope of the world to go, I want you to play your part, I want you to function in the body. It's a part of your purpose and all that I want to do in every area of your life. And so we're many, we all have different parts and different functions, but we are one body and we need to play our part or otherwise we drop the baton in our generation. And listen, can I just say this? I am so passionate about this. Do you understand that, that what Jesus lays out in the New Testament, that the closest thing that you are going to get to the presence of Jesus, this side of heaven is when the church gathers. I think we should amen that more than three people, but I know you guys don't do that. The closest thing we're going to get, why, why can't worship God at home? Absolutely, and you should, but you can't function as a body at home. That, that there was this mysterious thing where I love how we've tried to edit and copy and paste what Jesus lays out through the, all throughout the New Testament as if somehow we are smarter about how this thing is going to work. He said, no, the church is you gather for strength, you worship, you do life, you serve, you give your, and then there's the promise that when you do in local communities, that a manifestation of the power of God shows up in a way that it does not happen anywhere else. And it's literally the fuel and the power for what God wants to do in the market marketplace and in the boardroom and in your school, but I'll just guarantee you, you show me someone who is not functioning in the body, and in most cases, they're unbelievably powerless in the boardroom and in the school and in their home, because this is the source of God's power and all that he wants to do, and you're a body, and you need to play your part in the body. It's who you are. It is your identity, and so Paul says, we're one body. We have many parts. And then he says this, and I love this, back up to verse 22, and those parts of the body that seem to be weakest and least important are actually most necessary. 
Literally, I love the word in a different translation where it says they are indispensable. Like here's the reality. Great churches and movements of God, they are not built on the talents of a few. They're not built on talking heads. They're built on the sacrifices of the many. When people show up and, and they experience what I just talked about, a manifestation of the Spirit of God to, to heal them, to free them, to change their thinking, to rescue them, and to give them salvation. And I get a front row seat to watch this so many times happen in a moment. And when that moment happens, it's because somebody sacrificed behind the scenes, that somebody gave up some money that nobody else is going to know about and transferred the treasures of their heart to build the kingdom. And then they greeted them in a parking lot and they did things behind the scenes that nobody gets praised for. And then they sat with kids in circles and they anchored the gospel in their heart and they signed them in in the name of Jesus. And then they worshiped and they turned levers and knobs knowing it all relates to what God's going to do in a human heart. And they served in a cafe and they, they cleaned and picked up trash and they have no idea how it's working together. But I'm telling you, this mysterious thing happens where Jesus says, when you play your part, you are indispensable. And when that person has their eternity-altering, life-altering moment, you were a part of that even though you will never meet because you are a part of the body and you are indispensable in what God's doing in your generation. And I just believe this, and I'll move on. There's some hurts that only you can heal. There's some stories that only you can relate to. There's some, there's some individuals that, that God has strategically placed you at this time to minister to. And I just want to say, can you imagine if you took the baton and you played your part? Because if you don't, you are missing all that God wants to do in your life. And somebody else is missing what God wants to do in their life because you are indispensable. And you have been called in your generation. And you have, you have the, the willingness to where you, you can just set it down and you can drop it. Or you can pick it up and be a part of a great cloud of witnesses to do what God is calling you to do here and now. Amen. And then in 2012, and, and I got to go quick, in the London Olympics, same thing, man. U.S., legit, better than everybody else. And it wasn't until the 2012 4 by 100 that finally the U.S. team won gold because every exchange in those exchange zones was absolutely seamless. Like it was absolutely perfect. And they ended up getting what they had been searching for for like over a decade. I just want to say this. If we're going to run our race well, we have got to do everything that we can to pass the baton to the next generation. I love what um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, and I love his name too, but he said at one point that if, if we're constantly rescuing people who are drowning and they're just, we're picking up drowning, 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 at some point you got to go up the river and find out who's pushing them in. And we're, we're in a generation of churches where we are so good at diagnosing things. Hey, your life is off the rails. Hey, you shouldn't have made that decision. Hey, that sucks for you. Like, come meet Jesus. What if we started creating churches with the next generation in mind that we didn't wait a decade and a half so they have to come back with all, all their scars? We start reaching them now, and we focus just as much in prevention as we do cure and realizing there's a bunch of people being pushed in, and we don't have to just rescue them, though we have the power in Jesus' name to rescue them. We can prevent, and we can say to another generation, following Jesus makes your life better, and it makes you better at life, and there's not the, the promise of pain-free, problem-free, but I'm telling you, 
God has a will, a destiny, and a plan for your life that culture and the world is not going to offer. And what if we were a group of churches, hear me somebody, because I'm talking to you, that we decided we're going to give our life away. We're going to give our comfort away. We're going to give our preferences away. We, as very busy, maybe educated people, you're leading businesses, you're doing all kinds of things, and you're willing to humble yourself and get in a circle and pour into the life of a kid and invest in the next generation and build churches with them in mind so that we are not waiting for people to get pushed into the stream, having no idea what they're facing, having no idea how to answer their questions, not able to speak at street level and instead create gatherings where we who follow Jesus for a long time are all giving up something going, hey, in the exchange zone, I'm gonna hand this to the next generation if I die doing it because they are the church and we have been made stewards in our generation. And so we're gonna build a church that's not waiting for people at 40 years old to come back. We're reaching them right now, today, and taking the baton. And I'm telling you, CC, I just want to say this to you as a church. You have an extraordinary opportunity. You're reaching more young people than, than maybe anybody else in this area that God continues to draw here. The most unreached group in the West is 20-somethings. They're not leaving the church. They already left. Increasingly post-Christian. We have an unbelievable opportunity. I'm just going to tell you without batting an eye, you need to step up. And you need to serve. There should be a waiting line on our CC kids going, man, how can I get in there and invest? And I know it's not for everybody. And I know kids are annoying sometimes. I've got three of them, they're so annoying. Yesterday, so annoying. Went to try to get my haircut with them and then get their haircut. And I'm telling you, like I almost lost it. And then I lost it, my wife at home, she's like, you spent two hours with them. I spent all week with them and you're losing your mind. But I'm telling you, those boys are so annoying and they need Jesus. And so I'm just saying, I get that. I get that, but come on. I'm gonna do everything I can to serve those kids and anchor the gospel in their heart. And I'll tell you, I have a very specific goal, man. I don't have trouble telling you. I, early on, I wanted to create a church that I was gonna be able to hand off to my kids where they wouldn't just love Jesus, they were gonna love the local church. That I wasn't going to watch another generation in our city go by, like not on my watch. My kids are going to grow up and by God's grace, they're going to be inspired by the local church and they're going to love it because we are leading with them in mind. I love, and I'll just tell it quick, and some of these people may even be in this room, but I love guys like John Campbell, and we may have his picture up here, but serves sixth grade middle school boys, and he's very busy like all of us, owns his own company, tons of things he could be doing um, other than sitting with them on a Wednesday night. It's a massive sacrifice. And I come and spy on our group leaders sometimes, not because I'm trying to spy on them, because I love to just show up, and usually I'm kind of unnoticed on a Wednesday night, and I can just watch as, as adult men who are very busy and have a lot going on sit in circles with sixth grade middle school boys while they tell them things that they're never going to tell their parents, and you watch them pray over them and invest in them, and you hear the stories of what God's doing in their life, and you know that they are never going to forget him. There are people like Deneen Briggs, who serves in our um, CC Kids and Nursery and are investing in kids because we don't babysit. We raise up a generation of culture shapers. And I'm not trying to overstate this, but like as a dad, like watching my little girl about a year ago, she's six years old now, 
in her bed have one of those moments where she placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I would love to take a ton of credit for that. I know that honestly, I had little to do with it. And it had everything to do with the people that are pouring into her week after week after week and praying and, 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 and just, just being the hands and feet of Jesus. And as a dad, I'm telling you, there is nobody that I'm more grateful for. I love what Clay Scroggins says, and I'm, I'm going to move on. Every kid is one caring adult away from a better future and a better faith. Hey, guys, let's build churches that are all about the next generation. And if you don't like it, we haven't been called to be comfortable. We've been called to lift up and worship the name of Jesus and lead people to grow in Jesus, but we can do all of that while handing the baton to the next generation. And I, I just want to ask this question, and we're about to be done. Like, what if we don't? Because you have the option. We have the option. We can just be another church that shows up and sits in rows and sings songs and feel great about ourselves. One of the most terrifying verses for me is in Judges. Like, and you know when you're going to Judges. <laughs> Come on. Like, what if we just stay comfortable? Joshua was one of the greatest leaders of all time. Maybe my favorite character in the scriptures. And think about all that, if you've been around this, all that Joshua did. And yet it says that when Joshua died in Judges 2.10, after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Okay, come on. Think about all Joshua saw. Dude was there when the Red Sea parted. Saw manna rain down from heaven was there marching around the walls of Jericho, and then the walls of Jericho came tumbling down like Joshua was there for that. Joshua was there when they marched in and defeated the giants. Joshua was there to see all of that. Joshua was there, and in his generation, he literally moved from a slave to this conqueror in Jesus. He walked into the land that God had promised, just one of two people. Joshua literally had a front row seat when God stopped the sun for Joshua. Imagine all that Joshua saw in the power on display in his generation. And yet after Joshua died within one generation, there was a whole generation that didn't know any of it. We are only one generation away from having another generation that doesn't even know about it, that doesn't even know what God has done, that doesn't even know the power that God has on display, that doesn't even know that he has an extraordinary plan, doesn't even know that the church is a movement to the world, that when it's on mission, it has the power to give freedom and change anyone and anything. They have no idea because just like Joshua, there's a group of people after him that got so comfortable feeding off of Joshua's faith, they just stopped. They stopped moving, their faith atrophied. They didn't step out of comfort. And for a while, the stories were enough until at one point, it just was lost. And all of the power that they saw in Joshua's life and generation, it dissipated. So what, what, what's gonna be our story at the end of that, those verses in Hebrew, it says this, so let us, in light of all that, let us throw off everything that, what? Everything that hinders. For some of you, that, that's not a sin. He's, he's very clear to distinguish. It's just stuff that hinders. You had some relationships that, that God had ordained for you in the past, and, and now they're leading you away from God's calling in your present, and it's the thing that's hindering you from stepping out. 
For, for some of you, it's, it's this thing where you actually, you're serving and you're giving, and yet you've kind of stayed there for so long. You're doing what's easy, and God's going, what's hindering is you're not having to step out in faith any longer. I want you to serve at a greater level. I want you to give at a greater level. I want to do something to stretch your faith so it does not atrophy and you grow into this place of complacency. I want you to set aside some, some things in terms of priorities that they're not, they're not morally dark, but they're hindering you from running the race. And for a lot of us, it's just our comfort. It's just throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the habits, the addictions, the thoughts, the stuff that you know you, you should have given it up a long time ago. You should have got help a long time ago. He's like, now's the time. And let us run with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. And then I love this, because I think so many of us have our eyes focused on comfort and how bad things are and making stuff great again and fixing our eyes on politics. And he says, church, in your generation, and by the way, we were fed to lions and coliseums. Fix your eyes on who? Jesus. So what if we did that? What if we realized that we are running a race and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and it's up to us to take the baton to come out of our comfort and into our calling? Do you have any idea what God might do? Do you have any idea what God did? I just want to read this and I'm going to be done in not 31 seconds, but it's going to be a tad more than that. I love what Jordan Peterson says. I'm just going to read the last part of it, guys, in the back. I'm going to skip a bunch. He said, this is what happened when those great cloud of witnesses took the baton and began to believe Jesus on that hillside, that the movement began to move in the society that was produced by Christianity was far less barbaric than the pagan, even the Roman ones it replaced. It objected to infanticide, to prostitution, and to the principle that might made right. It insisted that women were as valuable as men, which that was not self-evident in the first century. It insisted that women were as valuable. It demanded that even a society's enemies were regarded as human. And I love what he says. And all of this, for that kind of change to happen, for a Roman empire to be brought to his knees, all of that was asking the impossible. But it happened. Because Jesus made a promise. I'm going to build my church, and it's going to not be overcome by any power in any generation where you come around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, and you're willing to step out of your comfort and into that calling to be who you are, a part of that body. And I'm telling you, God still has a dream for his church. He still has a dream even specifically for us, Centerpoint, in this generation, and he has called us to run well. And so my question for us is, what are we going to do with it? Like, what are we going to do with it? How uncomfortable are we willing to be? And I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people in this room or you're watching online. I get it. The hour is tough. And you need to take the baton. So I just want to give you three things and we're going to be done. Like, today, I, I want to give you three ways to act. And again, I say this without apology, and without hesitation, you need to step out of your comfort zone to serve those around you and behind you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to step into the gathering. You need to do it here if God's called you here, or you need to go to another church and do it. But you, you've got to find your place somewhere in the gathering. It is who you are. And so we need a bunch of people, even with this North Campus, and it's not about Centerpoint and the North Campus. We are taking the baton as Jesus is going, it's time, and we are moving out. But we need a bunch of bodies 
body parts to move with us and go, I'm in. So I just want to encourage you. There's a bunch of you. You need to get in a kid's environment, and you need to serve. And I understand it's a sacrifice. My kids are here eight hours every Sunday, and nobody pays them. They're not on staff here. Like, it is a sacrifice. I'm going to invest. I'm not asking you to do that, but we're going to do something. We're going to use what God's given us. We're going to step into the places of greatest need to invest in the next generation and to create a culture and environment where we are leading people back to Jesus that nobody else is reaching. But you need to serve those around you and behind you. And you need to step in today to go, I'm going to be a part of this in the local church. I'm going to be a part of serving Centerpoint and giving my life away. Thank you. Where are you at? I'm just going to preach to you the final five minutes. Thank you. I hear you right there. We need to be vision builders through our financial generosity. If God's going to move, it is not going to happen mysteriously. It is going to be on the backs of people who say, I want my heart to be God's. And so I'm going to tithe regularly. And I'm not under Old Testament law, but I am under grace, which means I get to do it. I'm going to fund what God's doing. I'm not just going to be a fan and, and just kind of sit here and be comfortable off of the backs of somebody else's generosity. I'm going to be the body. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. And so we need a bunch of people to be vision builders to go, I'm a part of this. You need to give financially. You need to be a part of what God is doing to move the baton forward for people who need Jesus. We're praying for 30 people at $500 a month. And not everybody can do that, but somebody can do something to go. I want to be a part of the launch team for moving forward what God is calling us to. And you, you need to step in today. You need to go, God, I've been resisting, or maybe I've been doing something, but now it's hindering me because I don't have to step out in faith and I'm going to give more. I'm going to step in to have you do what you want to do through me. On March 31st, outside of just tithing, we're going to give an opportunity for just generosity on that Sunday, which is over and above toward um, this new campus and where God's leading for a bunch of us to go. We're a part of this movement and body. And so we're going to give in order for God to do what he wants to do. We need you to serve. We need you to give. And then thirdly, we need you to pray for, love on, invest in, and invite the one. Who's your one? And I cannot encourage you enough, man, because when I get up here every single week, when I stop, step into my office on Monday, th there is always a person in mind that I'm leading for, that I'm preaching to, because I always want it to be fresh, that I am not here to just go through the motions of religiosity. There is people that need the power of Jesus' forgiveness, and it's why I'm here. And so I'm going to do everything I can to introduce them to that. And I want God to continue to break my heart for not just the 99, but for that one who's marginalized in a way and without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I've been called to reach them and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to invite. I'm going to invest. I'm going to lead them over to my home. I'm going to get uncomfortable. But we have been called to reach the world with the message of the gospel and it cannot wait. So who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? And so as we close, I just want to end with this because I know the propensity is like to just have this idea of like, what impact really am I going to have? What impact really can we have in the grand scheme of things? Or in our culture, does it really even matter? And I love the promise that Paul gives us at the end of Acts. And Acts, if you don't know it, is a book in the New Testament. And it's the 30-year history of the church, this great cloud of witnesses that started this movement. And at the end of it, Paul is chained to a guard, and he's been two years in a Roman house arrest, and the conditions are terrible. And he writes to some Jewish authorities to say, hey, I want you to come and hear about this message. I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm chained up. Like, 
by the way, while Paul's there, he's writing letters. And what am I gonna do in prison? I'll just write letters. And those letters will be copied. And those letters will find themselves around the world and they'll literally turn cultures upside down. That's what I'm doing in prison. And he calls the Jewish authorities in and he tries to tell them about this new gospel and what Jesus has done, but they're not, they don't wanna listen to it. And they, they basically think that Paul's leading a knockoff cult. And then at the end of the book of Acts, Luke writes that because the, the Jews had rejected this, that this message is gonna to move to the Gentiles all over the world in every generation. And Luke writes the final message recorded by the church and by Paul and this great cloud of witnesses. And as you read this, you think, how did he know? And here's what he says in Acts 28, 28. Therefore, church, center point, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, most of you, meaning it's for all people. Every barrier has been torn down. And then he says this, I love this. And you wonder, how, Paul, how'd you know this? And he says, and they, in every generation, in every culture, they will listen. Because I made a promise that I'm gonna build my church and I'm gonna bring salvation to the world and nothing is gonna stop it. And here we are. And in verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. And Paul was savage, man, verse 31. And boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that two years, probably under the cover of early morning, he was led out of that house arrest and the chains were undone and the dew was still on the ground and they led him out most likely to right outside the Colosseum. And they beheaded him. And the greatest church planner and greatest leader the movement has ever known in that moment when it was still so fragile was silenced but not the church. Because God made a promise on that hillside, I am going to build my church and not even the gates of death and hell are going to overcome it. And if you decide, Centerpoint Church, that you are gonna step out of your comfort and into your calling and play your part in the body, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's power that you saw in the New Testament is not dead. And I wanna do something through your church, through your life and your generation that you can only imagine, but it's up to you to come out. And so, hey, movement. Start moving. And maybe, and I know this is crazy, but I pray these kind of things and think these kind of things often, but maybe for some of us, there could be a time in the future where it could be said of us and the world was not worthy of them. So if you wanna step into calling, if you wanna step in literally to God's will for your life right now, you need to take the baton and you need to step into serving somewhere, body part, in the body of Christ, part of this house. You need to step into, I don't know what you have, but you need to begin to redirect your heart to give what you do have and say, God, I, I want to stretch my faith and I wanna walk by faith, use me. And you need to begin to do whatever you've gotta do to allow God to break your heart for what he's doing in our city so that you would be a part of it and you would not live your life accumulating a bunch of stuff that you'll get to the end and wish you would have had wisdom to know what mattered today. And so movement, let's move. Church, let's go and step into what God wants for us. And as, as I end, I wanna give you this invitation Paul was willing to be bold to the extent of 
of giving up his life. We don't really know what that is in culture. So the closest thing that we've got is if God is calling you to step out at a deeper level, it's not that you're not engaged, but God's calling you to more. If there's something God's laid on your heart you need to act on, or maybe for the first time today, I need to step in to serve. I need to step in to give. I want you on your feet right now if God's calling you out of your comfort and into your calling all over the house. And I'll let it be awkward and I'll let one person stand but I'm given an opportunity for the power of God to move in this moment for that one person. I'm gonna give you another moment. If God is calling you to take a step right now of faith to stretch you, to lead you out, to get you uncomfortable, if God's calling you and you feel it in, in your spirit of I, there's just more, I've just gotten to a place where I feel good because I'm doing something, but I'm, I'm outside of what God really wants for me right now. If, if you need to step in for the first time to go, I'm gonna be a part of this body, this is the moment. So if that's you, stand up right now. It's hard, right? I want you today to, to take a step and um, and God moves at different times. So for some of us, we know, we know that this is a moment, but we just, we can't move yet. And I understand that for a bunch of us, we're just, we're just resisting all over the place. But wherever you're at, I just pray that whatever the step is, you'd be willing to take it. And so right now today, if it's serving, grab a card in front of you, fill it out before you leave and go, I'm, I'm gonna serve. I'm not gonna talk myself out of this. For some of you, if it's giving, grab an envelope in front of you, go online right now to go, God, I'm gonna step into this. If it's an area where God's laid you, laid someone on your heart, you need to create a plan before you leave today of God, how do you want me to begin to pray for and interact with this person? But I'm not gonna walk away and do what religious people do, which is feel great because I feel conviction, but not do anything. Today is the day to act all over the house. Let me pray for you right now, if you're to your feet. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you're bringing many out of their comfort and into their calling. And Lord, it is a message, honestly, that has been ignored and edited in our generation. And we kind, of, we kind of want to plan and function our Christianity our way. And for many of us, you're calling us out of that right now. You have placed us a part of something bigger and we can't determine how this thing is gonna function. You've already declared that for us. And so help us to step into who we are. Today, there's many that need to step in to serve and to begin to give their life away. I pray that you give them the courage to do it right now. Many that need to reorganize some things in their life and, and they've been blaming on a hundred different factors. And the reality is there's a call to act in front of them and they've been ignoring it. For, for maybe several years. There's others where they need to step in to give. They need to give generously financially. They need, need to begin to be a part of what God's doing. There's others of us where there's a neighbor that you've placed on our heart and we've allowed everything else in the world to pile up and become more important than that. And today, now is the time. Give us urgency, move us. And I pray for your favor and blessing on those who even in this moment are publicly willing to identify. That is so hard to do, but I pray that this would even for many of them be a catalytic moment for what you wanna do in their heart and life. And we pray all of this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.